As we have gathered together on this Christmas Eve to celebrate the coming of the light into the world, I want us to take just a few moments to focus our thoughts on a passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. So if you brought a Bible with me, you can turn in your Bible. If you didn't, there's probably one in the hymn book holders there in front of you, or if you're near the front, they would be underneath the seats. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look on. There aren't enough to go around. You can just listen closely. I will read the passages that we will be focusing on and thinking about here this evening. John, chapter 3, and... You can follow along as I read verses 16 through 21, some of the most famous verses in the Bible, especially, of course, verse 16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Needless to say, this is an extremely important chapter of Scripture. In fact, there is probably no more crucial chapter in all of God's precious Word than John chapter 3. And why do I say that? Because here in this chapter, we are told how to obtain eternal life. What could possibly be more important than that? Jesus himself said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? So this passage before us is of monumental importance. There is nothing more important than our eternal destiny. In fact, Jesus used shocking language to say that nothing compares with the importance of making the right decision concerning our eternal destiny. Listen to his words in Mark's gospel, chapter 9. I will read several verses here, beginning in verse 43 of Mark chapter 9. And again, these are the words of Jesus. Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin... Cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Shocking words. In other words, Jesus is saying if there is anything holding you back from entering the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, then you better deal with it drastically, whatever it is, because nothing in this life is as important as eternal destiny. 
That is strong language coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus himself. And that is why I said that John chapter 3 is such an important passage because in John chapter 3 we are told in very clear language how we can enter the kingdom of heaven. We are told how to obtain eternal life. We are told exactly what determines eternal destiny. Jesus came into this world as a baby. Of course, that's what we are celebrating here at this time of the year. He grew to be a man. He died and rose again to provide for our eternal destiny. And here in John 3, we are told exactly how we can know for sure that we will not be eternally condemned. Notice the familiar words of verse 16. John 3:16, as I said, may be the most uh, familiar verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This verse tells us it was God who took the initiative in our salvation. God loved, God gave. In all other religions, man tries to reach God by some type of effort, works, religiosity. But the Bible says God took the initiative to reach mankind. In fact, God became man to reach mankind. That, of course, is what we celebrate at this time of the year. God the Son became one of us to reach us. God took the, the initiative to reach us because this verse says he loves us. We all, every one of us in this room, we all deserve the lake of fire, but God gave us love. What? indescribable love is this. Romans 5 elaborates on the amazing nature of this kind of love. Romans 5, 6 says that in our natural condition we are ungodly. Romans 5, 8 says we are sinners. Romans 5, 10 says that in our natural condition we are actually God's enemies. And yet, and yet God demonstrated his love toward us by giving his son to die for us. That's the kind of love John 3.16 is talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave his unique, one-of-a-kind son. When we trust in Christ as our own Lord and Savior, <coughs> we become children of God, but not in the same sense that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the unique, one-of-a-kind son he is of the same essence as the Father. He is genuine deity. That's what the phrase only begotten means. It is a title of deity. And since Jesus is authentic deity, his death on the cross, though only lasting six hours, has eternal value. And that is why, as this text says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. By the way, the term perish here in this verse does not mean annihilation or cessation of existence. That will not happen to anyone, no one. The term perish has reference to eternal conscious torment, as we heard just a moment ago from the words of Jesus in Mark 9. And the alternative to this eternal torment is eternal life. When we receive Jesus Christ, we receive eternal life. 
we receive the very life of God. And that is what God wants for us because verse 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is a verse that has confused many people because it clearly says Jesus did not come to condemn or judge the world. And yet, a few chapters later in this very gospel, John 9, 39, Jesus said this, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. So which is right? How do you resolve this apparent contradiction? This verse says, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in John 9, 39, Jesus said, I came to judge and condemn the world. Well, it's important to keep in mind that the world of mankind is already condemned. The world of mankind already stands under the judgment of God, but in his first coming, Jesus did not come to carry out that judgment. He will do that in his second coming. And a person's response to the first coming of Jesus determines that person's judgment. Or to say it this way, what you do with the first coming of Jesus will determine what happens to you in the second coming. So, in his first coming, Jesus did bring judgment by virtue of the fact that he made people choose for him or against him. But Jesus didn't come to condemn the world in the sense he did not come to carry out the judgment of God. He will do that in his second coming. That is why John 3.17 can say, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And at the same time, John 9.39, Jesus can say, for judgment I have come into this world. There's no contradiction if you recognize the distinct purposes in each coming of Jesus. He didn't come to judge the world in his first coming, but his coming made people make a choice that will determine their judgment, and that judgment will be carried out at the second coming. So John 3.18, the next verse, tells us the criteria of judgment. Verse 18 says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The person who refuses to turn in faith to Jesus Christ stands condemned by virtue of that decision. He or she has decided their own fate. The verdict has been declared, and the execution date is in the future. You see, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus do not automatically grant salvation. I want to say that again, and please, if you don't hear anything else here tonight, hear this statement. The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus do not automatically grant salvation. That is the biggest myth believed by most people who attend Christmas services and don't know Christ. They think, hey, he came, he, he, he was born of a virgin, born in a manger, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, and we're all good. We're not all good. We're not all set. There is a personal decision to be made by everyone. That is why John 3.18 uses the singular he. He who believes. It's an individual, personal choice of life or death. In John 5.24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and shall not, not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. 
That isn't true of everyone. It's only true of those who have yielded to Christ Jesus. Or as this verse says, he who believes in him is not condemned. But that's the problem. Men and women don't really want Jesus. Oh, they may like to celebrate Christmas, but they don't want to commit their lives to Christ. And John 3, 19, the very next verse tells us why. It says this, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is a tremendously insightful verse because it tells us that it is not really intellectual problems that keep people from turning to Christ. Please hear that. It is not really intellectual problems. Not really. People sometimes hide behind supposed intellectual issues. Oh, you can't trust the Bible. It has contradictions. It has errors, etc., etc. But that's not the real reason why people don't embrace Jesus. The real problem is a love for sin and love for for self. Therefore, no man, no woman will ever be able to say God is unfair for sending him to hell. Men and women choose their own destiny. And they choose condemnation, this verse says, because they love darkness rather than light. That's the problem. That is why people won't respond to Christ, won't turn to Christ, won't yield to Christ. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The light has come into the world. That, that's what we're celebrating here tonight, what we'll be celebrating tomorrow, this time of the year. The light came in the world in the form of a little baby. And as that baby grew, the light became brighter and brighter. But some people didn't like the light, so they tried to extinguish the light by nailing him to a cross. But that could not extinguish the light. Three days later, the light burst forth from an empty tomb. And yet still today, there are many people who don't like the light and they don't want the light. That's the contrast between the child of God, those who are not children of God. Verses 20 and 21 spell out this contrast. Verse 20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. The one who doesn't want Jesus avoids the light. He stays away from it. Oh, he, he, he may attend a Christmas service like this, but he won't stay around the light throughout the year doesn't want it. He doesn't want anything to do with it because he loves his sin. He, he doesn't want to let go of it. He loves self. He wants to do what he wants to do. In fact, verse 20 goes even further to say that such a person actually hates the light. But what a contrast that is to the true child of God. Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The child of God doesn't stay away from the light. He openly associates with the light. The unsaved person doesn't associate with the light, but the child of God openly associates with the light because the child of God has nothing to hide. He practices the truth. His deeds are done in God, not in darkness. In fact, the child of God wants his deeds to be seen, not in a prideful way, but as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So let me ask you on this Christmas Eve, where do you stand in all of this? Which choice have you made, light or darkness? 
Jesus or self? Condemnation or forgiveness? Judgment or salvation? What you do with Jesus determines your eternal destiny. And please hear this. It's not what you do with Jesus as a baby. It's what you do with Jesus as a man. With what he taught, with what he said, with what he asserted, with what he claimed. Do you embrace that? Or do you deny that, reject that? I tell you, it is a choice of life or death. Would you please bow your head with me to pray with me this evening? And as we pray together, there is nothing more important than you can do on this Christmas Eve. Nothing more important, as Jesus said, listen, if you enter life maimed, you're way better off than entering judgment whole. He was trying to press and stress the point that nothing is more important than making sure you have eternal life. And as this passage says in John chapter 3, the only way to have eternal life is to yield to, to believe in, to trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing you will do later this evening, nothing you will do tomorrow compares to the importance of that issue in your heart and life. So I encourage you, I urge you, to not leave this Christmas Eve service in a condition of being damned, judged, condemned before God. You don't have to be that way. But if you're that way, you're choosing to stay that way. Father, may you be pleased to really press on our hearts the importance of this issue. As Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? And then to read those shocking words of Jesus in Mark 9 where he said, you do whatever you have to do to make sure you enter eternal life. And if your hand is somehow holding your back or your foot or you cut it off, if it's your eye, you pluck it out. You do whatever you have to do to deal with what is holding you back. So Lord, I pray that here tonight in this gathering, surely there are people who are allowing something to hold them back. They will not yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because they're holding on to something. They won't let go of something. Something is holding them back. Father, may you be pleased to break through so they will let go and turn to Jesus Christ in surrender and experience his eternal life as we pray in his precious and matchless name. Amen.